In his book, The Beatitudes for Today, Dr. James Howell of Myers Park Methodist says, churches do not turn the world upside down. By our architecture, dress, and behavior, we fit snugly into our surroundings. But James is a firebrand. He's not trying to stir trouble, but his words should strike a mix of sadness and maybe some anger. We've missed it, haven't we? The church has almost completely missed Jesus' revolutionary character, haven't we? James continues, how did Jesus, who got his followers in constant trouble, come to fit in so comfortably, even successfully, in our world today? Churches do not turn the world upside down. It's just a sad fact. Instead of answering the prophetic call, questioning the way things are, challenging the powers, the church has become a guardian of the status quo with entitlement mentality, expecting to benefit from the system. At times like this, it's hard not to turn to a little cynicism. How much difference is the church making in the world today? Historian Diana Butler Bass calls the first decade of the 21st century the horrible decade, 10 of the worst years in church history. Now, I don't know that she's right, but the scandals and cataclysms she notes have been undeniably devastating to the reputation and standing of the church, especially in the United States. So Amy and I became your pastors at the beginning of the worst decade in the 2,000-year history of the Christian church. And it's probably only gotten worse. Now this is no plea for pity. It's only a call for awareness. I still think I have the best job in the world, even if I picked a difficult time to do it. But a person who has chosen to spend, or as a person who has chosen to spend his entire career here, I just have to say that I'm worried about the church. If you are following along, observing this slow motion, slow motion cultural collision that we are riding, if you are alert to the dangers the church faces, especially from within, you will join my concern. The most recent threat comes from the Christian nationalism that threatens the integrity of good faith as well as the whole of American democracy. The insidious mixing of nationalism and bad theology was in the religious mix before the insurrection of January the 6th. But the bright display of violence, fomented by shameless lies and a mountain of willful disinformation and celebrated in the name of Jesus, that grotesque display of arrogance and ignorance brought the issue of Christian nationalism to the attention of theologians and historians around the world. But as soon as those voices of reason began raising concern, others adopted the words as a battle cry. Proud Christian nationalists began appearing on social media and in political speeches, garnering support across from the far right, threatening ever more destruction day by day. The bold vision of our founding fathers was a nation that could be a shining city on the hill. That vision would be achieved in large measure through the freedom of religion, which means the freedom to be Christian or Muslim or Jew 
or nothing at all, and to live in a nation that would equally support all of those choices. Only in maintaining that wall of separation between church and state would the church, will the church remain free. Yet loud voices among us are working day by day to break down the wall of separation between church and state. They favor instead only a narrow brand of Christianity, and they call that bias toward conservative Christianity religious liberty. It is not. Churches do not turn the world upside down. And if the Christian church believes it needs the endorsement and the power of American democracy or any other government to do its bidding, we never will turn the world upside down. History shows that when church and state are melded, the resulting theocracy always cedes the voice of the church to the power of the state, which will always defend itself. Churches do not turn the world upside down because we have exchanged the radical message of Jesus for the self-righteous claims of religious exclusion and certainty. The easy way of worshiping Jesus over following a radical Savior. Now, if you're wondering what all of this has to do with the Beatitudes, your confusion may be evidence of the depth of our problem. You see, we have tamed the words of Jesus, spiritualizing his every move and message. We have made them so kind and gentle, so harmless, that we fail to see that he has envisioned a different way altogether. An alternative to the very best systems of government humans have ever devised, all of which, one way or another, favor the powerful and the wealthy, the way things are, leaving the masses to fight for the crumbs and fall from the table. When Jesus saw the crowd, the crowds who were gathered to hear Jesus were, by and large, Israel's peasant class, those who struggled, oppressed by a harsh feudal system. His message must be heard in that context. The words of Jesus empowered the masses. The establishment types, who stood on the edge of the crowd to observe, those representatives of Rome and Jerusalem, listened but they listen with a critical ear. The gospel says that early in his ministry, they saw a path to destroy him. Because unlike the way the church has come to read, they recognized his message as dangerous, subversive, not pastoral, but spiritual. Heard from that perspective, the perspective of the powers that be, maybe his words were not Blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke's gospel just says, Blessed are you who are poor. Yours will be the kingdom. Those who mourn will be comforted. And what will bring that comfort? The meek will inherit the earth, the entire earth. Blessed are those who hunger for righteous reward. They will be filled. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Now do not misunderstand. Jesus was not calling for holy war against Rome. 
But you could mishear his words that way. Because we know his life and the full story of Jesus, his message will not support any armed insurrection. But we should not overlook its truly revolutionary character. There is hardly anything in his words, anything about the kingdom he envisions that fits easily within the mythology of the American exceptionalism we hear so much about. Anytime I'm slightly critical of our system, somebody accuses me of being anti-American. I'm not anti-American. I love this country. But just as we need to be self-critical of our own households and our own churches, we can be self-critical of our country. We share virtually all the values of every other empire the world has ever known. An obsession with military strength, a law and order that always defends the leaders of power over the ordinary people, the xenophobic affirmations of us versus them, justifications of control over compassion, commodity over common good. Because the church has become so closely aligned with the empire itself, the countercultural message is just too hard to hear. Instead of subversion and challenge, we have turned the attitude into a beautiful passive call to idealism. With ideas and ideals so romantic, they are easily dismissed. Instead of a call to the transformation of culture, the church pr prefers to hear them as the be happy attitudes, as the best-selling book by televangelist Robert Schuller protest. Churches do not turn the world upside down. You don't have to wonder why. So what are we to do with these words. What does the liberal pastor of a progressive South Charlotte congregation want his congregation to take from these words? Do we give in to despair, throw in the towel and just walk away like so many others have done? Oh, please don't. Please don't walk away, especially in this culture. The world needs the church as Jesus but let me make two suggestions for you today with a way forward with these words from Jesus. First, let's refuse to hear them just as the be happy attitudes. Let's learn to read with enough depth of understanding and enough integrity to recognize the potentially transformative nature of his words. And not just transformative spiritually to ourselves, but to a culture as a whole. In doing so, you need to be aware that truly following Jesus will still get you in trouble. For example, what would it be like to live in a society that truly blessed the poor? Most scholars see the Beatitudes as recorded in Luke's Gospel as older, more original to Jesus that here in Matthew's words already a kind of softening of the message. Rather than blessing the poor with all the societal implications that come from those words, Matthew may have spiritualized the message himself because blessing the poor in spirit requires nothing from us. No program for welfare or social 
What would our culture look like if we emphasized meekness over money? Mourning as much as winning. Could a nation really devote almost $1 trillion in military spending? That's as much as the next eight nations combined. That's what we spend on our military. Could we really spend that much if we truly understood Jesus' way of peacemaking? I'm not talking about peace through strength, so-called. I'm talking about real peace through sacrificial living. These are not the be happy attitudes. They hold much more transformative power than just providing personal spiritual pleasure. And then, let you and me commit to taking these words seriously as individuals. Opening ourselves to let the vision of Jesus begin to transform our own understandings. I mean, what if we really took mercy seriously? What if, what if, in our own hearts, in our own living, out of a spirit of mercy, what if you and I insisted that our political leaders approach the issue of immigration with compassion, not with promises of walls or threats of deportation? How is that blessing the poor? Where is the mercy in that? The meekness, the peacemaking. Now, Republicans and Democrats would undoubtedly still disagree on policy specifics, and that's fine. It's probably good that we have that conversation. But no one would be able to use human beings as pawns in our petty politics or dismiss the plight of neighbors in distress if we lived the Beatitudes as real words for a real world. That's how Christians transform a culture. Not by all lining up behind one political party, but by insisting that our chosen party begin to look just a little bit like Jesus. What do we do with the Beatitudes? Let's take the words seriously. Let's let them begin to transform me. Churches do not turn the world upside down. church remains strong. We met this week with someone that's been visiting with us for a good while and talking with her about her life and her work and our work and our life. We found ourselves using three phrases. Well, before the pandemic or since the pandemic or because of the pandemic, everything seems to be couched in terms of that all-encompassing COVID world, knowing full well we still aren't in any after-COVID world. But a new normal is emerging, and I think we should embrace it. It's been a year of multiple new normals in personnel. For most of our years as your pastors, we have prided ourselves in being able to tell any incoming personnel chair and members, oh, this is an easy committee that really doesn't do much at all. 
Well, apparently pride goeth before the fall. For that group has been busy this year with a new child development center director after the 14 year tenure of Heather Gaskins. Just when we thought we had music taken care of, Matthew Manwarren had a wonderful opportunity fall in his lap and he just could not say no. So Bob Bridger came along to help us get the ox out of the ditch. And lo and behold, someone was at the organ bench each week that has kept things flowing in worship without missing a beat. Pun intended. We are so grateful to Bob and Roxanne for making music for us and with us now consistently and regularly. And for the choir who faithfully inspires. What would worship be without music? So this is an important piece. And I'm glad we got it right. And yet we're still missing one piece of the puzzle, youth and children. The search process is going well, and we are feeling encouraged that soon we will be up and running with a full staff in place. Let me assure you that our church is not alone in significant personnel shifts since the pandemic. There it is, that all-encompassing marker of time. So if misery loves company, we are in very good company. And yet, and yet babies are being born in our church and our nursery workers stay busy. Children come running down the aisle to the front with open arms for hugs for children's time. And our youth, what can I say? I do love them, even though they got up in mass and left the business meeting. No judgment. They are fun. And I will be more than happy to hand them over to someone new. But I will confess that I have loved my time with them. How many pastors get that kind of time with teenagers these days? How lucky am I? And that I don't just that, that they don't just tolerate me, but most of the time they seem to kind of like me. <laughs> There's some new normal. First Wednesdays. It's shocking to me now that we ever did Wednesdays every single Wednesday. How did we do that? And then, of course, we went a couple of years of no Wednesdays together. But our first Wednesdays together have been meaningful and important with better attendance than we were having before the pandemic. There it is, the marker of time. New normal is the ever-broadening of our congregation out there through social media and live stream. I cannot believe that on today, the one time our live stream isn't working right, and we're back to the old camera. But our congregation is actually very large, larger than I can even take in. Last Sunday, I noticed that an online visitor was saying hello to a friend who was watching that I didn't know, and because I'm not Facebook friends with that person, I had no idea that that person was watching. I can't see that if I'm not friends with you. In that same conversation from earlier this week with the regular visitor, we asked, 
So how did you find us? I would have bet my next paycheck that I knew what her answer was going to be, and I was right almost word for word. I googled progressive churches in Charlotte, and guess who came up first? Park Road Baptist. It's how almost every visitor finds us these days. Now some things have stayed the same. About 25 to 30% of the people sitting in this room each and every week are not official members. That's how people roll these days. And it's the new normal, and it's been the new normal for a good long while, and I'm still not quite used to it. I guess I'll have to get over it. Things that were postponed because of the pandemic have picked back up. We got to go to Cuba, our 20th time going, and the tiny house project is up and running at full speed. Something that was brand new, Mac Duncan's Pay It Forward initiative. In my very rough, with no real math skills way, I have estimated that the original $5,000 that was given out to this Pay It Forward initiative at $100 a clip over the course of four months is well over $10,000 now. A Charlotte Magazine reporter that reads our newsletter, yes, you heard that right. Just when we wonder if anyone really reads all of that that we put together every week, every week. A reporter called us last week to interview us about this pay it forward thing she had read about, she had been so touched. The article will appear in the April edition. Charlotte Magazine. And then there's all the regular stuff. VSP, Fun Food Friday, books in schools, needlers, room in the inn, uptown men's shelter lunches, funerals, weddings, and in the midst of all of the ordinary, we were introduced to the Perez family from Honduras. Friends, perhaps there's nothing more important we have ever done in the life of this church. Do you realize we have changed the world? We changed the whole world for five human beings. We've helped to move them out of danger and out of poverty and into new life. That is the definition of resurrection. We have been Eastering these people as hard as we can go. There's still a lot to do to help them reach a level of independence and security in this place. But if you ever wonder if we are being the church, just know that we have Eastered. And I think we should use that as a verb from now on. Easter is a verb. Worship, education, fun, fellowship, mission, new people getting to know old timers, people continuing to put names and faces together, all of us trying our best to be community for each other and with each other. I know that most people most of the people all around us in our day-to-day -day lives do life without church, without really investing in 
in church. But I don't know how they do it, and I don't know why they do it. When you can have what we have in this place, even with all of our deficiencies and all of our foibles, and for all the times that we don't get it right, here we are trying and thriving. And a lot of times we actually do get it right. And I think it's in the trying and the thriving that I can say with all confidence, the state of our church is very, very good. Now may it continue to be so. Amen.